0: When was the last time your plans didn't go according to plan? Was it last week? Was it yesterday? Was it this this morning? Your plans didn't go according to plan? Um, I think we all experience that, don't we? Not my most recent time, but uh, me and the family, we went to my parents' in Eastern Ontario for Christmas, and I have to admit I had some plans (laughs) We'll see how this goes. (laughs) I had some plans, and one of those was, you know, I don't just want to see my family, which I do, but I like to get out in the family farm and just get out and scratch an itch I don't get to scratch here um, in Nova Scotia. And so we get there, and long story short, um, Asa's little cousin decided to bring a little bug from Toronto, and uh, within a couple days... Asa had croup, double ear infection, um, some other viral thing he had. We went to the ER twice. He was crying like the whole time. And for some reason, which is kind of endearing, he wanted to only be held by me. <laughs> so I, uh, I had to lie on the couch, and he was on top of me as I looked outside and saw the great outdoors that wasn't mine to be had. And, uh, but that's life, right? Uh, that started like three to four weeks of like sickness in our family, <laughs> which included among the things I just mentioned, things like uh, COVID, you know, the cough, oh, pink eye as well. Like it just, it was quite a January. And all I say to, s- to say that is, um, both me and Melissa, our views of last Christmas are just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. sometimes our plans don't go according to plan, yeah. Yeah. Uh, case in point. And today we are beginning a series on the book of Ruth, and especially today in chapter one we're going to be looking at, there's a, there's a lady in this story, her name's Naomi, and plans didn't, her plans didn't go according to plan. Her life, how she pictured it, wasn't where she thought it was supposed to be by the end of chapter one. And today I really believe that God wants to speak to you and I through this book through what he was doing in their lives. He's got something to teach us today. He's got something, a word for somebody today. And Ruth is, if you know this book at all, it's, this, it's a little book. It's only four chapters in the Old Testament. But I tell you, it's quite the book. Um, from, a, from a genre standpoint, it's like, it's called, I don't know if I got the, the pronunciation right, but a, like a novella. It's a cross between a short story and a novel. And so like any good novel, it's got the character development it's got the plot twist. It's got the, the building and resolving of tension. It's got a lot of wordplay in it, which we unfortunately miss out on because we're not reading it in the original language. It's got all sorts of literary techniques involved. Like the author of this book really sat down and thought hard and how to, to structure this. It's quite a book. And this takes place... During the time of what we call the judges. Now, if you're not really up into Old Testament history, that's okay. I'll just speed you up here. We got Moses and Joshua on one side, and then way over here you got the kings, like King Saul, King David, King Solomon. But in between you have this time of the judges. And I want you to think of the judges that ruled Israel, not, not necessarily like with a gavel in their hand, though they did some judging, but think of them as kind of like a military general. Running the people at that time, and if you've ever read the Book of Judges, not the best time to have lived. I mean, God did some great things, yes, but it was rocky at best. And it's during this time that we get this this account of the story of Ruth and her or her mother-in-law, her family, and the story goes something like this: This guy, Elimelech, his wife Naomi. And family, they're living in Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden, there's this famine that comes into the world. And they're starting to run out of food. And so what do you do when you're living in a, in a famine? They decide, you know, maybe it's time to go somewhere else for, to look for greener pastures. And so they decide to go across the River Jordan on the other side of the Dead Sea to this place called Moab. And they go settle there. And then it says, and Elimelech died. And the sons get married to local Moabite women, local girls. And then not too long after that it says, and then the sons died as well. And I want to pick up in Ruth chapter 1 starting in verse 6. And however you like and can process um, listening to my voice, I encourage you to get in that posture. Maybe don't lie down because we don't have a lot of space here. But if you want to close your eyes as I read, if that helps you, then do this. This is what it says. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. And so Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you you to your people. But Nomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes. I'm too old to marry again. "'Even if it were possible and I were to be married tonight "'and bear sons, would, then what? "'Would you wait for them to grow up "'and refuse to marry someone else? "'No, of course not, my daughters. "'Things are far more bitter for me than for you "'because the Lord himself has raised his fists against me.'" And again they wept together, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. "'Look,' Naomi said to her, "'your sister-in-law's gone back to her people "'and to her gods. "'You should do the same.'" But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and to turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. They came to Bethlehem. And the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi, the women asked? And she said, don't call me Naomi, she responded, and said, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman, and they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring, the beginning of the barley harvest. There's a lot there, I know. Um, Just to recap, I got a map up here. And so you can see where they were around Bethlehem. They would have had to go around the the Dead Sea, cross the Jordan River, and they went down to this place called Moab. But in essence, this is what happens. They go there as a family, and she comes back by herself with a daughter-in-law, all the men in her family have died. And my question is, was this, a, was this God punishing them? And uh, you may be saying, well, what, was it, wh- what do you mean punishing them? What was he punishing them for? Well, some scholars would say that Elimelech and his family committed a couple sins of sorts, I guess. The first one is, They left the promised land that God had given to them and instead of trusting in God, when things got tough, they decided to go to some other land. And God promised, he said, when I bring you into this land, I'm going to take care of you. Turn to me. And what do we see? Elimelech looks like he's heading for somewhere else. He's maybe taking things into his own hands, trying to do what's best for his family. Some would say um, God was punishing Elimelech and that's why he died. The other sin that maybe those boys committed was, it says they married uh, Moabite women. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, um, God makes it clear, don't marry anyone except from your own people group. And that's not because God is a racist. It's because he says time and again, I'm just, if you marry other people from other lands who worship other gods, there's a temptation that you're going to follow after other gods instead of worshiping me. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, you see that play again and again. And even in our own experience, I have found that if you're not on the same page spiritually with your spouse, at the very best, it can cause some headaches. <laughs> and so some would say that they were being punished for this. But others would say no. No. This isn't God punishing them. This is just what happens to all of us, right? Bad things, that, what's that saying? Bad things happen to good people? Like, sometimes tragedy just strikes. The names in this story kind of give us maybe a clue into this. Have you ever, if you've ever noticed, the names, the meanings of these names in this story, they really, they're saying something. I got a couple examples up here. So the two sons, Malin and Kilion, interesting Malon means weak or sick. Killion means frail. And in this story, it just says they die, right? It's interesting. Maybe even more specific, though, is the two daughters-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha. Orpha means to turn back. And who in the story turned back and went back to her family? Orpha. And who was the one that stuck by Naomi it was Ruth, whose name actually means friend or companion. I tell you, these names aren't just in there. It's not a coincidence of this. And so I asked myself, well, what does a, a Limelech's name mean? Is it positive or, or bad? And it means my God is king. That's a positive name. And so some would say, because of the writer's um, carefulness in, in writing this story, that the writer sees us as a positive person. This isn't Causing, this isn't caused because of their sin. Today, I want to focus on the story of Naomi for a moment because I think it speaks to us. I think some of us here have experienced what Naomi experienced, and maybe we haven't felt permission to experience that. Should I switch mics? (laughs) It's not bad. Yep. Sometimes, next slide, it feels like God is against us. I don't know, have you ever felt that way? And maybe you feel like, oh, I can't say that. This is God I'm talking about. But Naomi reminds me again that sometimes it just feels like God is against you. What does she say here? Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Wow. Wow. Farther down, it says, don't call me Naomi, which literally means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? I don't know if you ever felt like that before, where it feels like God himself is against you. And my question is, is she correct in her assumption? Like, is God the one causing her pain right now? And possibly, right? God can do anything, and especially the worldview of this time period, like, they were very fatalistic, meaning that when something happens, say you got sick, you wouldn't normally think, oh, something must be wrong inside my body. You would think, what's God doing or, what spiritual dynamic is at play? We, we do the opposite. When we get, you know, have a stomach ache, we go for the, the cabinet for a Gravol or for a Tylenol and go to the medical and human side first, but they would have done the opposite. They would have gone and thought it was a God issue or a spiritual issue first. So maybe, possibly, God could have caused this, but again, maybe He didn't. Maybe this is just the story of a tragedy. Because as I read through scripture as a whole, I realize quickly that not everything that happens in this world is God's will. And so, bad things do happen from time to time. But what I know is this, is that regardless of whether God was involved or not, is that Naomi was experiencing some deep emotional pain. She was heartbroken, and rightfully so. She literally says, I have become bitter towards God. I'm bitter. And can we really blame her? I don't know if you've been there, but I find that when you get into that situation where you feel like maybe even God is against you himself, it's it's so hard in those moments to hold on to this truth that God loves me, that he's good, right? It's so hard to hold those tensions together. Some of my greatest heroes in the faith They're not necessarily the people that have the largest ministry or church or speak the best, but some of my heroes are just like the everyday Christians that I've looked at their lives and they've gone through some deep suffering, and yet they still choose to praise God. Man, that speaks to me. I, I remember as a teenager, we were at a church camp once, and us teens were playing around a picnic table, and this older pastor, and I've come to learn that I can't call people old because... It, it's very subjective, right? And But this guy was old. He was like in his mid-90s, okay? Arthur Perry. And he comes over to where us young people are, and he sits down, and we're not paying attention to what he's doing. He's talking to someone. And then all of a sudden, as some older pastors do, he, he almost starts to do an impromptu sermon right there. He just starts to, like, start to preach in a way. And I tell you, as he started to do that, all of us kind of stopped what we were doing and turned. And without being told, we just started to gather around him in the semicircle out of interest because this guy was passionate. He was raw. And I remember him saying in his little sermonette that he did on the spot that years ago, his adult daughter and their grandbaby were in a car accident, and his daughter was killed. And I think the grandbaby, they had to raise it or something like that. But as he's telling the story, he starts to cry. And here's us youth around, and there's, you know, this old man in his 90s, and, you know, you can still tell. It's still, the grief is still there. And as he's crying there, we're just sitting there like, what do you do with this? And then as he collects himself with, he basically just goes on in his little message, and his word's not mine, but he just says, Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I tell you, when I see people that have gone through the fire or they're still going through it and they still hold on to that truth that God loves me even when I don't understand what's going on, it touches my heart. I was, uh, this week I was, I was talking to a youth, they don't go to this church, they go to another church, and I asked, we just happened to be talking about things, and I said, what does it mean to be a Christian to you? And this person She started saying, like, doing the right things, following these rules, being the perfect person, being the good girl is what I have come to see Christianity as being about. And so wanting to, like, get a little deeper there, I asked her this question. I said, do you believe that God loves you? And she just shook her head no to me. And I tell you, my heart was broke a little bit in that moment because isn't that the gospel Isn't that why Jesus came? That God loved the world so much that he would send his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Often in those dark moments where it feels like God is against us, those are the moments we need to hold on to the truth that he loves us the most. One of the most radical verses I've ever found in the Old Testament that really just kind of shakes you up blows my stereotypes of sometimes how God is presented, is Zephaniah 3.17, and this is what it says. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And these next two lines really hit me. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Do we understand? Have we experienced that? That God... He loves us. And even in those moments when we don't understand or see what's going on, and it feels like everyone is against us to hold on to that truth, even though we're so tempted to let go of it, that God loves us. Naomi reminds me of one other thing that is so true in our lives, and we often don't realize it till hindsight, and that is how things look and feel is not always how they are. Right? A little funny example now. When I show this picture, please don't get offended. (laughs) Next picture. I got a picture of Prince William here, and it looks like he is uh, giving someone the finger, flipping the bird. That's what it looks like. But next picture shows that he was actually not doing that. He was holding up three fingers. And the context of this picture is he's leaving the hospital after his wife, Kate, has just given birth to their third child. And he's getting in the vehicle, and he's saying, you know, like, I got three now, three times the worry. Makes a little joke and moves on. But from one angle, it certainly doesn't look like he's saying, I got three children. And it's a, I find that picture such a good reminder that life is like that so often, where often it seems like something is true, but we don't have the full story. And we have a benefit today with Naomi, and that is we get to see how her life plays out. But she doesn't in that moment, right? We get to see the full picture. Have you ever heard that saying that says um, our feelings are real, but not always true? They're real. God has given us the ability to experience emotion, and because of that, we shouldn't shove down our feelings. We should acknowledge them. We should work through them. In fact, uh, a guy named Pete Scazzaro, he once said this. He said, "In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves." We lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. I don't know if you ever thought of that before, that if we're not honest before God, we're in denial in some way, and how on earth are we going to grow closer to Him if we cannot even be honest? I think that's why some of us love the Psalms so much. Like, King David, just sometimes he prays prayers that you and I might not be comfortable praying, like, God, why have you abandoned me and forgotten me? Why have you turned your back on me? Right? He's so honest with God, and yet he's the one who's also known as the man after God's own heart. Our feelings are real, but they're not always accurate in the fullest sense. You know, Naomi, she thought her life was done. She was a widow now. She, her sons were gone. She thought her life was done. And yet little did she know There was more to the story. Sometimes we think God's raising raising his fist at us, but he was actually doing something in our lives. Sometimes, and what we're seeing in Naomi's life is that he's taking her brokenness and he's making something beautiful out of it. She just couldn't see it yet. And that's a good reminder for us today that we don't know the end of our story. If you're disappointed with God, if you're angry at God, I encourage you, it's okay to to voice it. He can take it. I was talking to someone last week after church in Kentville, and he was just saying how there was a time in his life where he had a lot of things going on, and he was just like David. He was telling God what he really felt, and probably not G-rated. But he was telling God, and then he started to feel, you know, should I talk to the Holy One this way? Isn't this a little disrespectful? And then he he said to me, he felt that, he felt like the Holy Spirit said to him, I'm just glad you're talking to me. And I, I think he was right on that one. I'm just glad you're talking to me. Come to him, even when we are disappointed with God, but just remember this, that the story is not over yet. A few weeks before, uh, or a few weeks after, rather, I was born, um, there was, my, my mom had an old pastor, and when he heard that I was born, I was the firstborn in the family, he, for some reason, I don't know if God led him, I guess, to do this, he felt like God had guided him to write this poem, prayer slash prophetic word, over my life, I don't even think I had a name yet, my parents were notoriously late at naming their kids, I think I went three weeks without being named. I never hear that now. I would have thought nine months would have been long enough, but no, no. <laughs> it wasn't. I didn't even have a name and I have a picture of this this poem, prayer, whatever you want to call it, that this pastor wrote for me before he knew anything about me. And I'll tell you I've always really looked up to this, these words here because I get it, most people don't get this, like have someone speak over your life like that. And I used to hang it on my wall as I was growing up. And I tell you, there were times when I felt pretty hopeless and I'd look at this poem and I'd be like, how on earth? He, there's a line in there, he says, the central purpose of this plan was for when he grew to be a man, he'd give himself to serving God to bring salvation on this sod. And That idea, like, God has called me to something to serve him. There were times in my teens, and I tell you, like, I was just empty at the bottom of the bottom and felt like I was in a pit of despair. And I remember one evening, like, just crying, just feeling just so lost. And I look over to the wall, and there's this poem on the wall. And I read those words again, and I'm just, like, crying to God. I'm like, how on earth? is this even true? Is this just a bunch of nice sentimental thoughts? Like, how on earth? I don't see how on earth I could ever serve you in any kind of capacity, because I feel incapacitated right now. And then I fast forward to today, and I look back, and you know, I would have had no comprehension. I would be standing here this morning, every week, back then, like 15 years ago. No idea, beyond my wildest dreams, that I'd be in Nova Scotia doing what I'm doing. And I tell you, like the words from this that he's spoken over me, like they've come true. He's long since died. And I'm so thankful because sometimes in life we just don't know the end of the story yet and the ways things seem in that moment are not how they are going to end. Now we thought her best days were behind her, and yet with God, it seemed like maybe her best days were ahead. Today, I know this fact, and that is that God is working in your hearts. God is working in each and every one of you, whether you notice it, whether I notice it or not. I know God is working. I know he loves you. And honestly, I don't know why some of us here have, you know, given, been given the short end of the stick when it comes to life, like it seems like life has been unfair to us. Some of us dealing with health stuff, some of us dealing with a lot of relational baggage, some of us dealing with trauma. I don't understand why we have to deal with all the pain and the things that you have, but I know this, that God loves you more than anyone else has ever loved you. My prayer today is that you would... Experience that love that it wouldn't just be a theory. it wouldn't just be reading Zephaniah 3:17, but it would just be like, yes, I know that I know I know that God loves me. I know that Jesus is the one who said in Matthew 11, "Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you my rest. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I, I don't know where you are at today. But maybe there's someone here that just needs to give something over to God this morning. Maybe you feel like Naomi, that it feels like everything's against you. Maybe you can't see anything good in what you're experiencing right now, but I just say this, my, my, my urge, my, the thing I want to leave with you today is this idea of hold on to Jesus through your storm, no matter what comes, no matter how dark the path seems ahead to just hold on to that truth that I know the character of God and it is real and He's true, that He loves me, that He is good. For I've come to realize and I believe this more and more every year that only Jesus is going to get you through. If If you need to let go of something and give it over to God this morning as I pray with you, I just, I encourage you, you can pray your own prayers in your head to the Lord while I'm talking. You don't have to listen to me. If you need to talk to God and just say, God, I'm feeling a bit like Naomi, feel free to tell him. Ask him for his rest to take your burdens this morning. Father, we just thank you that in all situations your word speaks to us that you remind us in this story of Naomi who's at the lowest of her lows that we're going to see that you've got it all taken care of, that you are working something beautiful out of pain. And I just pray that for those today that are in the midst of painful situations, of asking God, why? Why is it this way? Why do I have to deal with this? This is unfair. God, may we just hold on to you in those storms. May our resolve to trust in you be deeper and deeper and deeper. God, may we experience your love afresh. Even, even today, this morning, as we sing this last song, I just pray that those that really need it to experience your love in an experiential way, that they would just experience that they are loved by you. Just the way they are. God, we thank you. Thank you. We get to thank you that you are with us on this journey, that you are guiding us. Lead us closer to you, we pray, in these moments. Amen.